mean, you've been putting in work for so long. Putting in a lot of work. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Putting in Work, the interview podcast on the 8-Bit Collective, powered by Audio-Technica. This is episode 62. I'm going to start off with the iTunes Review of the week, which goes to Air Mardo, who says, Jono is a working class man, smart, funny, wise, and good looking. Keep putting in work well. Couldn't have said it better myself. But in all seriousness, I do love to read out these reviews every week. They help the show. They help me get the word out there. And it's also just great to hear your feedback. I've had a few messages lately, uh, not through reviews, but through like Twitter and that kind of thing, where people have told me uh, how much the show's helped them. So that kind of message always uplifting but even if you have criticism love to hear that as well whether it's through an itunes review or a message so hit me up let me know this week's guest is steve smith espn freelancer and a friend for a while i I got to know steve through fairfax we were both working in regional news at the time and you know i was in warnable he was in albury wodonga which is a six hour drive away but i saw an nba blog he did on a trip to the u.s and that's kind of how he came across my radar i think it's hard to know with twitter and everything where these relationships start but we've been friends since then and it's been really cool to see his career progress even further since leaving regional news journalism Uh, as i mentioned there's a freelancer for espn he's had a lot of articles published about the australians in the NBA and also WNBA with Lauren Jackson being a very close contact of his. But he's also covered basketball at pretty much every level from uh, the Siebel, the NBL, the Olympic Games, the NBA and college basketball as well. So I guess it really it's a story about how each of those different levels has led to the next until eventually he was in a position where he could write about the NBA, the highest level of this sport that we love for ESPN, arguably the highest level of journalism that you could reach for this sport that we love. And, you know, being an Australian and writing about an American sport, there's obviously barriers there, but Steve's found a way to carve out a niche for himself. And I think that's really cool. And his approach and advice about freelancing, I think that can apply to different industries as well, whether you're into sport or video games or whatever it might be. You might have actually seen Steve in the media lately because he shares the same name as the disgraced Australian cricketer. And having a verified Twitter account, he gets a lot of abuse about that. And he was actually uh, declining a lot of media requests about the recent incident. He takes it on the chin. Good on you, Steve. Here he is, Steve Smith from ESPN. Thank you for joining me, Steve. You're in high demand at the moment, batting off PR requests left, right and centre. <laughs> oh, stop. Stop that now. <laughs> Never mind the fact that it's because you share the same name as a, a disgraced Australian cricketer, I guess. Yeah, look, that's been uh, that's been interesting. It's been an interesting little taste of uh, what real celebrities go through and I don't want to bar it. This, is, this has all been a ruse <laughs> to get the scoop on what it's like to have the name, Steve, so... I've got you. <laughs> to have you to have you have your mentions yeah. go into meltdown. Oh my be, god! Uh, yeah, an interesting few weeks. Anyway, <laughs> for sure. Why don't you tell uh, my listeners who you are, what you do? Well, I'm a features writer for ESPN, and I'm also an account manager for a digital agency in South Melbourne. But uh, writing and editing is is my passion, and and especially for the NBA and uh, women's basketball as well. Covered uh, from the SEABL, the Southeast Australian Basketball League, through to the NBL, the NBA and the WNBL over the years. So I've, uh, I've written about basketball for close to probably 15 years now, and uh, it's it's a real passion. So Steve, much like myself, you've been a, a journalist in regional Victoria for most of your life. Do you want to take me through kind of the steps, I guess, focusing on basketball that led you to the point where you're actually writing for ESPN now? I'm sure that that was probably a childhood dream for you, and for many years you probably didn't know if that was something that would ever happen, am I right? Yeah, for sure. I didn't really discover basketball until I was probably, I don't know, 11 or 12, 13 maybe, so late 80s, early 90s, and then all I knew is that I wanted to write about it. 
got a, an apprenticeship at the newspaper in Albury-Wodonga, the Border Mail, and it was actually in the pre-press department and ended up pestering the editor enough that he ended up giving me a cadetship. Ended up writing about uh, the SEOBL in, uh, in Albury-Wodonga for more than 10 years, and uh, that opened some doors itself. So you, you go from that and you, you start going to NBL games as well and talking to players and who, who you knew from the SEOBL um, competition. And so then you talk to those players and talk to the coaches there and then you make some connections there and soon enough you're writing about the NBL and uh, from there it was a matter of just pushing pushing your own product I guess. And I guess the big thing that helped with that is like certainly the, you know, the rise of the internet and social media uh, certainly helped in that regard. And it got to a point where I was, I did some online stuff for, uh, for Slam magazine. I did a couple of things for them. And, and then did, I obviously once, uh, all our regional newspapers came under the Fairfax umbrella, I started to do some stuff for them. So wrote a piece about Matthew Dolovadova for the, in the 2015 finals. And that went, uh, that was on the Sydney Morning Herald in the, in the age. So that, that sort of helped as well. And then, I had uh, a contact in the US who had heard that ESPN were looking for someone in Australia to, given the num- the increasing number of Australian players. So they wanted someone on the ground who could potentially write features at a moment's notice uh, for the US arm. I had a chat with this particular editor. He said, send me some of your stuff. So I did. He was happy with that. We had a chat about all things NBA and he thought I knew enough somehow to to be able to write about it, <laughs> and uh, and so it went from there. So then, so that was about eighteen months ago, and since then it's been a regular, pretty regular sort of thing. Uh, unfortunately, though the uh, the mass layoffs that ESPN have had, I mean, there's been a fair bit of turnover, and uh, the at the moment I don't have a, a particular editor in the US I'm dealing with. So at the moment it's all purely for Australian ESPN, which is still uh, really good. It's really fun to write for. And uh, I've had a weekly column on the NBL this year, and, and I've done a number of uh, of NBA and uh, and a couple of stories on on Lauren Jackson as well. Yeah, it's really cool to see kind of that spread of you know starting out with the local leagues and just building it up bigger and bigger till you're covering the biggest one in the world. It's pretty awesome, and I think it sounds like each of those progressions came through building contacts from the ones that you started in, right? Yeah, very much so. You, you, you talk to the, the people at the, at the lowest sort of grades and that's not a knock on them. It's just, that's the reality of it. That's the competitions they play and, and coach in. And, and from there, you know, a lot of those people go on to bigger and better things as well. And if you establish a really good rapport, I think that's, that's the key. Trust is, and as you would know as well as, as a journalist, ex-journalist yourself, Trust is just such a big thing of that. If, if, if they can know that you're going to report fairly and know that you're going to not print the dirt on them or whatever you want to call it, things like that, hmm. sensationalize things, then I think that really helps. So when you started writing you know, about the local leagues, did you have ESPN in mind? Were you ambitious enough to think that large when you were, you know, as, as I was growing up on and working in regional Victoria where, you know, it always to me it always kind of seemed a little out of reach? Uh, yeah, probably I didn't really think it necessarily specifically ESPN. I just knew that it was the first step towards, you know, probably bigger things. I, I knew that I needed to be able to establish contacts. And ideally, I, I probably wasn't thinking online at that stage when I first started. It was more print. So, would you know, wanted to be in Slam magazine or wanted to write for 
but at the time, which would have been, you know, like something like pro basketball today, you know, in Australia, mm. even. And then... Not one-on-one? Uh, well, one-on-one had probably <laughs> almost just about yeah. finished by then. But having said that, part of the progress was I, I did write for a basketball magazine that, that did come out for a little while called Handle. And uh, Handle was the only print basketball publication. And it, I, I saw its first epi- its first edition and read it and went, okay, this needs some work and I reckon I can help. <laughs> and so I don't know whether that was being a bit, um, you know, whether I was being a bit overly confident, but I, I just I rang the editor and said, look, here's some of my, my stuff. And he's like, oh, yeah, cool. No, you know, come and write for us. So I did. And so for a year and a half, you know, did some stuff for them. And unfortunately, the magazine ended up folding. But um, that, that was a big mm. part of it as well. So when you're Writing for the NBA, do you think the fact that there are so many Australians in the league now that's generated a bit more interest in getting an Australian writer to cover for them? Because I know like writing about a sport in another country, there's a few barriers there. So obviously, you can't access players directly unless you're able to hook up something online. What do you think it is that makes them reach across the ocean to someone like yourself? Yeah, I, I think they definitely wanted somebody who could provide a different angle than somebody who was in the US, which is oddly almost the inverse of what you were just saying. But I think, yeah, they, they were definitely looking for an Australian voice as well. And the fact that I can, you know, talk to, I can still talk to, you know, Matthew Dolivadova or Joe Ingalls or Patrick Mills or whoever I need to talk to, like you can just go through the team or you can approach them directly. Some of them are pretty good about that. I think that really helped. I, I also think the fact that I'd previously dealt with someone like Lauren Jackson extensively, I think that that really did mm. play into for, for them to want to, to use me and, and what I could provide. Sure. And you mentioned Lauren Jackson. You've definitely got a great relationship with her, I guess, being the basketball writer in the city that she's from, right? Yeah, I, I think that definitely helped. I, I was probably the probably the third, I guess, writer at the paper that, that she dealt with extensively. I think Peter Rolfe, who's now at the Herald Sun, you know, he was the he was the first to really cover her as she rose up as a junior from the age of about 12, I guess. And by the time she was uh, probably 18, 20, I was, I was the, the writer and uh, Jamie Horn had come before me. He's still with Fairfax. Yeah, just doing that many stories on her over the years and just having an easy going and, and an easy relationship with her in that I wasn't interested in, like if, if we spent any time talking off off the record, it stayed off the record, and and I think that helped develop that rapport, as I said earlier. And I think that's really important. Mm. Um, at the same time, sometimes you have to be pretty honest, and she's she's brutally honest enough with herself to know that when you know you did on the odd occasion that you had to write a critical story of her, she understood as long as the the motivation wasn't malicious at all. I think she was she was pretty okay with it. The best example of that is after uh, the Beijing Olympics. After the gold medal game they lost to the US, it was probably their best chance to beat the US. And on the medal die, she was standing, you know, there was a good, there was a bit of separation between her and the nearest teammate. And she was noticeably angry and upset about it. And she didn't attend the press conference afterwards. Mm. And uh, when she got back to Australia, I had an interview with her, I had a Q&A with her, and she, why didn't you attend the press conference? And, and she said, I wasn't asked. Which I I was incredulous because to me you're the captain of yeah. the team that won the silver medal. Oh, I'm, I was how could you not be asked? But she was adamant. She she didn't get asked, and I think more because I think nobody asked her because she was so upset. Yeah. You know, at the same time you have to ask those those harder questions about why you weren't there and why why that appearance was was the way it was. Hmm. And you're very much in the camp that she's the greatest Australian basketball player ever. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, not even close as far as I'm concerned. I, I just given her length of accomplishments and. 
wherever she played, she was phenomenally great. And she raised the profile of basketball. If she'd been a guy, we'd be we'd still be talking about her, you know, long after she'd stopped playing. And just her list of what she was able to achieve and, and she was the forerunner of, of the modern player. She was a big who could step out and hit a three. Mm. And but then, you know, you put a put a smaller, more agile player and she just took them down low and, and scored on them in the paint. She was un, absolutely unstoppable. And do you think it, that your interest in uh, women's basketball m- maybe is something that made you stand out from a lot of other writers? Because I'm not an expert on it myself, but I imagine that the coverage, there's a, probably a big disparity between the people who are willing to cover women's basketball compared to men's. Yeah, there is. Yeah, I, I think that that would have helped as well. Uh, I'd certainly covered a lot of women's basketball. Even even as I was getting to know Lauren, I was also doing a lot of stories on Jessica Foley, who was from Wodonga. I played junior basketball with her brother. And uh, Jess, Jess went to Duke University, actually hit a, a shot against uh, University of Connecticut to break their 57-game home winning streak. Yeah. And and she said at the time, oh, this will be lucky if it makes the, the local newspaper. Like she just – she was well aware that women's basketball just didn't rate at all. But, but as you said, you know, doing stories on her and then Lauren and then women's basketball as a whole, that, that absolutely helps, yeah. And in terms of getting into NBA writing to start with, I, I remember when we were both working for Fairfax talking to you about a trip that you took to the US. <laughs> I don't know if it was like your holiday for the year, but you somehow managed to get into a bunch of locker rooms and, and write a whole bunch of uh, NBA articles. Can you talk me through that experience and maybe what contribution that had towards the rest of what followed? Oh, for sure. Look, so uh, yeah, I, I took a bit of a working holiday in, in 2012 and uh Went to about six or seven NBA games, and and through my contacts had, had managed to secure you know media accreditation. So that really helped. And Fairfax were kind enough to let me post a running diary, essentially you know an early blog, mm. I guess if you like, and uh, of the whole trip, and just to see the day to day workings and and just how hard the beat writers and how hard you know how much goes into it behind the scenes. Even in 2012, yeah. uh, it, it was really really amazing and really eye-opening in terms of just what you needed to do and how you needed to write and how much attention you had to pay if you wanted to actually succeed in that endeavor it's it's not a matter of i think a lot of people think oh i'd love to be i'd love to be doing that but and and it is good don't get me wrong but those beat writers are on the road for 41 games a year not counting playoffs they they don't travel you know on a on a private jet like the players they're, they're sitting in coach and they're catching a red eye you know, cross country, it's it's not glamorous by any stretch of the imagination. And if you've got the stamina for it, it's the most amazing job in the world. But there is a lot of hard work in that as well. And that was that was the biggest eye opener for me, just how hard uh, the day to day journals really work. Yeah, sure. And were there contacts made in that that proved to be valuable later on? Uh, a little bit, probably more just the fact of establishing contact with the NBA itself and, and getting the media passes and 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 then submitting those the pieces that I did so that they're aware of who you are and and just getting some extra access in terms of online access to stats and things like that and just I guess yeah more than anything else for me it was seeing it up close and understanding the, the whole process to it. Hmm. Was there any part of it for yourself that was like confirming this is where you want to be covering sport? This is what you want to keep pushing towards? Yeah, for sure. Look, certainly the whole trip itself, but one of the last games I went to was in Golden State. It was the day they traded for Bogut. So they traded away Monte Ellis and and the fans weren't necessarily happy and Steph Curry was still injured. He didn't play that night against Boston. But pre-game, I, I got to talk to Jerry West 
and he was he was in a corridor and I, I was on my way to Mark Jackson's press conference before the game and I saw Jerry and I was like, oh, I'm just going to skip the press conference. I can talk to Mark Jackson <laughs> after the game, but I may not get a chance to talk to Jerry West again. So stopped and he was so, so generous. He gave I, I would have been happy with 60 seconds. He gave me a good six or seven minutes just talking about Bogut and, and what he thought he'd bring to the team. And he was exactly right about how it worked out. He was, he was talking about Curry and how he, once they got his ankles right, they thought they had a really special player and how Bogut would anchor the defense. And obviously there were some other things that still had to fall into place, but you could see that he really, Jerry West really could see how that was all going to come together. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a, it's kind of the origin story of that team as we know them, really, that trade. Yeah, very much so, very much so. Yeah. So I mentioned before about kind of the separation you have from the US and, and that kind of thing. Even just being in regional Victoria, was it ever something that you looked at like, this is a disadvantage. If I was in Melbourne, maybe I would have had a lot more opportunities. If obviously, there's people we know from Australian Twitter basketball who have moved over to the US to cover sports. Is that ever something that you thought, you know, you missed your chance because of your, you know, personal life circumstances that kept you over there? Uh, look, I don't ever think, I, I don't ever sort of regret anything. Like, obviously, I had young kids at the time and, and living in Aubrey. So, and, you know, and Yes, we do know some people who have gone over. Like one of my best mates is Nick Medellinos, and he's he's absolutely killing it in New York. But I think once the internet made everything closer, I think that eliminated a lot of those disadvantages. Yeah, there were times when you're in regional Victoria and you think, oh, it'd be good to be in Melbourne. You could you could probably make some better contacts. But if you work hard enough, and if you make enough calls, and if you you know establish that rapport again, um, mm. I, I think there's still there was still enough of an opportunity for me to be for me to be pretty happy with how things were progressing. And I always feel like when the time's right, those opportunities present themselves. So the fact that I'm in Melbourne now and, and doing a bit more than I ever was, I think that's, you know, that's probably testament to that. The, the time was right for me to be in Melbourne and that's how it panned out. Yeah. It's really cool, I guess, to see that you can kind of have your cake and eat it too in terms of having the lifestyle that you've, you've always enjoyed but still get your foot in the door and through hard work, really, I guess you'd say. Yeah, for sure. Like it, it was – I had too many ties, I guess, to be able to sort of do what Nick did, for example, which was go to New York and, and really, really work to establish yourself in that environment. And he's done an amazing job. But I'm, I'm probably no different to, to anyone else who's on the Australian NBA side of things that, that does podcasts, that does you know people like Tom Reed and, and Benyam Kidane. Mm. Th- those sort of guys, they're exactly the same. They're, they're living in Melbourne or Sydney and that's as good as they can do at, at this point in time. So it's But full credit to them, they, they're going to go places. So hmm. it, it's just all about timing and circumstances as much as anything. Yep, absolutely. And, and for a lot of people, yourself included, it's doing these things in your spare time as well, isn't it? Because you've got other jobs. And if you, you know, if I decided that I want to be an NBA writer, I'm going to have to put in that work after my nine to five and pitch yep. stories and make contacts. And yep. that's a sacrifice people have to choose, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, look, I, you know, especially uh, probably even over the last 12 months, even I've done, you know, interviews with NBA players while I'm sitting in my car, you know, in my lunch break from, from my regular job, because that was the only, literally the only time I could do it. And I wasn't certainly going to waste my employer, my full-time employer's time <laughs> sitting in, a, in, in their office and, you know, just suddenly taking half an hour to chat with somebody i'm sure they wouldn't have minded to be honest but you don't want to you don't want to be sort of putting them in that position either so 
you know, I've, I've done that plenty of times so that just to get a result. And, mm. but the end result is that you get to write a really good story and that, that everyone enjoys. And that, I think that's, that's the best part of it is, is seeing how many, is seeing how much people like this sort of stuff. It's um, mm. very, very gratifying. And so, on that note, like getting published by ESPN for the first time, what was that like? Uh, that was amazing. That that really, uh, I to see that to see your byline there was was really something I, I really did cherish. I really did enjoy that. What was the story? Uh, the first one was actually on Aaron Phillips, the um, who who plays uh, AFLW for for Adelaide and plays WNBA for the Dallas Wings. She's now an assistant coach there. She's retired from basketball. But uh, at the time, she was doing she was doing both, and she actually risked her WNBA contract to play that inaugural AFLW season. Hmm. She couldn't get insurance on the contract. She pretty much said, okay, I'm going to risk this because I, I really want to play football. And luckily, it all worked out. She didn't get hurt or anything like that. And then, uh, But once she got back to the U.S., she was released by Dallas, but then took then actually took up an assistant coaching role with them. Sure. And I think as a journalist, you kind of get used to seeing your byline in the newspaper or whatever. But yeah, for sure. Being on that ESPN.com must, you know, it, it, there must be something special about that every time, right? You're definitely right. At some point, as a, as a print journalist, it's occasionally you do get a little bit blasé, I guess, about seeing your byline on a story. Uh, certainly when it's the, the day-to-day, week-to-week grind. But yeah, no, no, I don't ever get sick of seeing it on a on a site like ESPN for sure. That's cool. And what would you say has been the hardest part of getting to this point in this like career journey? You've gone through lots of different steps and you've obviously honed your skills as a writer and someone that's trusted to produce quality content. But what's been the, the biggest challenge for you? Yeah, I think I think you got it before, like certainly being in the in the regional area and but I, I think nothing was particularly hard in terms of, you know, I, I never had anyone say to me no, you're not good enough, or no, we don't want your stuff. It was probably finding the people to actually pitch it to. So making those contacts and then having having those contacts is it, it really is who you know, not what you know. I, I really don't like that part of it because I think it should be merit based. In that, if you're good enough, you will find mm-hmm. a way, and somebody will notice. But unfortunately, the world doesn't always work like that. And uh, but I always thought within myself that if I could show someone what I could do, then they would like the way I wrote and, and it did end up that way. But it's it's taken a number of sort of lucky breaks along the way. I, I, and I, I, even if I'm doing it only part-time, I, I still think I'm really lucky to be able to do what I do. Yeah, it's a good perspective to have, I think. Uh, what would be your advice to other people, whether they want to break into, I guess, freelancing for ESPN or anything, like any field? I guess it's probably applicable across the board in some ways. Like there's always, you know, for, for me, I'm really into video games. So IGN yep. is like the ESPN of, of that world. Sure. And then yep. there's, you know, Rolling Stone magazine and, and these different publications that are yep. probably a lot more accessible now than they ever have been because of um, their willingness to accept contributions and just yeah. email addresses that you can track down and, and pitch stuff to, right? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, certainly for in any field, especially when it comes to media, be it writing, podcasting, you know, whatever it might be, just establish a presence first of all. So even if it's even if you're starting out and you're just writing for free for for an NBA blog, for example, you know, you, you can do that from from Australia and write for a US NBA team blog. I, I know people who got offers recently about, you know, writing for a, a Milwaukee Bucks blog or a Clippers, you know, LA Clippers or, or whatever the team is, 
just start there and and just write and and the more whatever you do, but just, I'll, I'll stick to writing because this is what I know. But the more you write, the more you establish your own voice, and the more you so you can take stuff from from other writers, but don't ever try and be a writer that you like. Like for example, obviously, I think for you and I and for other people, Bill Simmons was always the person who had figured it out and got the internet. Yeah. He, he saw what the internet was going to be and he made the most of it. And there were so many people who tried to write like him. <laughs> So many. yeah, he was one of the first probably like voices on the internet, like in yeah, sports. Yeah, and it was a really unique, strong voice that that really tapped into what people wanted to read about, which was sports and pop culture mixed mm. together. And but it was his style. And okay, fine, you can you can still write about pop culture and you can still write about sports, but you need to find your own style and tone of voice. And and at the end of the day, just repetition is is the key to that. Just writing, 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 and and finding someone who you can learn from and lean on. And I've, I've really, I, I had a couple of people like that. And then I've really tried to, to help whoever's, whoever has asked me, I've always said, send me your stuff and I'll, I'll have a look at it and edit it and, and try and give some improvements because I think we can all, you can always improve. And for some, and yeah, and it's been really fun watching a couple of people I've helped go on to far better things than, than I ever mm. will. Um, and that's that's been really satisfying as well. That's really cool. So the last question I have on the regular rotation of questions before we move on to just some general NBA uh, discussion points while I've got you on the show. <laughs> sure. uh, if if sure, you could sure. do anything, Steve, and know that you couldn't fail, what would you do? If I could do anything and know that I couldn't fail, I'd probably want to solve something really big rather than <laughs> anything sort of sort of sports related. I'd want to be trying to fix world hunger or <laughs> something like that. That's a good answer. Um, You're going to cure cancer. That's a yeah, something like that. Jeez, what a question. Let, let's go with let's go with let's go with you know stopping world poverty. Excellent. That's a it's a very noble choice there, Steve. It's it's a <laughs> kind of a psychological test this one, and you've passed. Yeah, but, you know, excellent. Now I get to ask the follow-up, which was, you know, if you're keeping it into, like, I guess your creative, you know, your writing skills and that kind of thing, what would be the thing, the pursuit, the endeavor that you'd go for? Uh, I'd want to write a book, I think. Yeah. On, you've yeah. got a topic in mind? I think it would be on basketball, but it'd be a, a really sort of overarching either on, you know, Australians in the NBA or possibly even, you know, some sort of, maybe even a book on Lauren, mm. but it would probably be more an overarching NBA book of Australia and the NBA yeah. and things like that. Australians in the NBA would be really interesting, actually. I would, I would read that book, Steve. <laughs> Especially if you wait another, like, five or six years. Wait five years. Wait wait until Ben Simmons is the best player in, yeah. in, on the planet. <laughs> yeah. Australia basketball hype will be at an all-time high. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's really close right now. Like, wait until Simmons really blows up. Yeah. And then it's just, it's going to be insane. Sure. So that brings me on to the, the the fun part of this show. Just getting a chance to talk basketball. I've never done a basketball <laughs> you okay. know podcast apart right. from interviewing a couple of of uh, podcasters and writers. So okay, uh, what's what's been your favourite theme like narrative of this NBA season so far? A couple. So I've really enjoyed the rookie of the year race. I've, I've, I th- I think it's I think it's Simmons. But Donovan Mitchell is it a two man race? It is. Or it a, is. Yeah. Um, Jason Tatum will be will be third. It's been fun to watch both of them. I, I don't buy into this. Like I really hate the whole. If you pick one for rookie of the year, then the other one is 
trash. Like, you, yeah. you, you, can't, you can't say Simmons is going to be Rookie of the Year without some Utah fan going, oh, what about Donovan Mitchell? Okay, so ideally, like, look, it may well end up – I don't think it will, but it could well end up in a, in a Jason Kidd-Grant Hill tie type mm. scenario. But I, I think Simmons will win it. Um, because simply because he's been incredible from from the from the get go, uh, yeah. I think that that's been just so much fun to watch. Uh, what else have I enjoyed? I've been weirdly enjoyed all the stuff about Cleveland, like the soap opera that is the Cleveland Cavaliers. Just <laughs> it, there's, there's, it, they're never boring, and yeah. it's different this year because they are just so bad defensively, and yet and yet you cannot pick against them because of LeBron James, like. They're, they're basically taking the attitude now. We'll just outscore everyone for the rest of the way. I, I, I just which um, never seems to work in the playoffs. That's the one thing I think everyone's waiting. except for like the the first. I don't know. The first Warriors team was one of those yeah teams that was just out shooting everything. Yeah, I, I just I, I'll be. I'm, that's the part I'm really curious about. Is that what? Are, how is that going to go in the playoffs? But given that Boston is banged up, and that's another. St- Storyline I've really enjoyed as a Boston fan is somehow Boston winning close to fifty five games <laughs> without prob- who without the guy who probably would have been their best player, their best all round player, um, mm. and then Kyrie missing a Kyrie bunch of games missing too. a bunch of games. Other you know Jalen uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum both or Brown certainly missed some more games. Marcus Smart's been missing in at times, so both both physically and mentally, and um, <laughs> so. And and Toronto, like the annual, is this the year Toronto finally you know breaks through? Like there are, I'm so sure of it, there are three things certainties: there are death, taxes, and Toronto losing in the second round. So you know, it's going to be really interesting to and oh, you're to going to break their hearts. Steve. I know, I know. And then look out west. I've really enjoyed watching Houston. Just uh, James Harden has been just. Phenomenal. You can say what people can say whatever they like about not liking his style, but it's such a unique way to play the game. And he is he has taken it and mastered his footwork and everything about what he does is so very calculated and it's so good. He's just an incredible player. I think the um the rise of Philadelphia has been one of my favorite storylines, just seeing them go from what they have been for the longest time to a good NBA team is kind of yep. shocking. And, and on- You better want them in the playoffs this year because after this year, you do not want to see them. Yeah. They already they already terrify me. I, I wouldn't want to see them in the second round of the playoffs this year. Mm. Like If they if they get a se- playoff series win, they're going to have their legs. They're going to have some attitude because they're young and they don't know yeah. any different. They, know, they don't know they're not supposed to be there. That's all right. And they're only just getting their number one draft pick back in the lineup now. So where's that yeah. going to go? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like Fultz will probably end up being quite good and they have an absolute beast in the middle and they have Ben Simmons and they have a whole bunch of really good role players and veterans around them. That was a that was really smart what they went out and did. They, you know, they got Ilyasova, they got Bellinelli. They've got, they already got, they already had JJ Redick. So that's three really savvy veterans to have around Plus Saric, who's been amazing since the All Star break, mm. like it's a really yeah well rounded team. And I love Covington. Like I've yeah. been a fan of his for a few years. He's just one of those you know like Lou Dean kind yeah. of blue guys. Yeah. And throw in TJ McConnell as well, and it's it's not a terrible team. No, look out in a couple of years. Oh my god! Yep, it's uh, and that's another one of the things that week after week I look at the NBA standings, and usually. 
the rise and fall of of different franchises is really gradual, and you, you see it coming for a few years. Yeah, but this for year sure. you look at it and you're like, oh wow, New Orleans is winning all these games without their arguably best player, and then you see like Utah are suddenly a, a fourth or fifth seed, and that's after losing their best player. It's like, what is going on here? The Spurs are out of the eight. Oklahoma are up. Now they're down. And it's like, yeah. the race is so tight. And every time I look at the standings, I'm just like, oh, that team's good. I didn't realize. And maybe it's because I haven't been able to watch, you know, as many games as I'd like to. But it's just, it's it's just crazy. Oh, it, it just Utah were, they were gone. Early January, they were done. And... Mitchell just said, no, put him on his back, and away they went. Like, and oh, No coincidence, obviously, the return of, of Rudy Gobert really helped with that. Um, but they've been just phenomenal. Like, there's, like, Obviously, the East was a little bit different. Like Milwaukee clinched their playoff spot today because Philadelphia uh, – sorry, because Detroit lost to, to Philly. So that's decided. But Denver and the Clippers are still – you know, they're on the outside looking in, in in the West, and they could still get in. Like it's mm. from from four through to to ten is really it's open. Two games or yeah. something, isn't it? It's it's silly. Hey, uh, crazy. how did uh, how did the Bulls go this year, mate? <laughs> That's been a fun story too. Oh, jeez! <laughs> just just watching them lose. Oh my god! I say as I sit here in my Bulls t-shirt, but my uh, my aims and expectations for this season were to lose and for uh, Laurie Markkinen to play a ton of minutes. And so you mission know, accomplished. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Once uh, Miritich and Bobby Portis got into fisty cuffs, I was rubbing my hands together like, ship them out. It's it's Laurie's year. And I, I think, <laughs> um, I don't know if it's, you know, good stats, bad team, but I'm pretty happy with, with what he's um shown so no, far. No, he's, he, no, he's shown enough. He's, he's, he's got a place in the NBA. Yeah. He's going to be... He's going to be very good for a long time. And he's got a really good nickname too. So that's yeah. good. And after losing Jimmy <laughs> Butler, like that was, that was pretty much devastating because... You know, yeah, it's hard I, to I come wanted, by I, people like I that. I wanted Butler. I wanted Butler to come to Boston, <laughs> but, um, and I was and I was very happy with Hayward, obviously, for until sixty seconds into the <laughs> into the first game of the season, the, and the poor bloke had his ankle separated from the rest of his body. Yeah. But um, really, really good to see him back. Actually, just running. Mm. That's um, look. He, he won't be back this season, obviously. But I, I actually can't wait for next year just to see what Boston, how Boston goes with a full team. Yeah, it might it's it might be a blessing in disguise with the amount of. A progression that other players will have been able to get. Yeah, it'll it'll be really interesting to see what they do in terms of who they get to come off the bench after that, and because I think you could actually you could actually really uh, it sounds silly, but as, because as good as Tatum has been, but he could be an absolutely incredible sixth man who finishes games. He may not start mm. them, but he'll finish them. Very good. And who's your pick for the finals to to make it to the finals? Oh, oh god. <laughs> uh, Look, it really comes down to obviously injuries. Yeah, it's going to obviously be huge. Steph Curry's injury. I, I I still think even if he's back, he's probably not going to be a hundred percent. I think that's just enough for Houston to to get past them. It's going to be an absolute bloodbath. Um, but I think I think Houston will make it out of the West. Hmm. The East. Oh boy. Uh, look, I think it'll be Cleveland. I just I can't bet against <laughs> LeBron James. I just until someone beats yeah. them in the East. You, you got to keep picking him because he's got the benefit of the doubt till then. He really does. He's got runs on the board, and and he just come playoff time, they've been there and done that. And the the defense really does bother me. They they really can't guard teams, but no other team has anyone who can stop or even slow. No, no team really has has anyone who can slow down or even stop LeBron. So 
Good luck, Boston. Good luck, Toronto. LeBron owns Toronto. They do not have a chance mm. against the Cavs. So I, I just, um, unless there's something really goes wrong, and I don't know whether Toronto have some rhythm problems at the moment anyway. They, they beat Boston today, but Boston was obviously shorthanded without Kyrie. And Boston just are always, they always play hard. There's something like 29 and 11 on the road. They're almost actually better off being on the road sometimes, <laughs> I think. But. But yes, coming back to your original question, yeah, I think it might it'll be it'll either be Golden State Cleveland again, or it'll be Houston Cleveland. Sure. Uh, and in which case, and I think the MVP will be will be James Harden. Not that you asked me, but I mean, obviously, <laughs> I think that's I think that's pretty obvious to all concerned. Sure. And you've got, um, I guess, the West team coming out on top, regardless of which which side it is. Oh, yeah, oh, that, it, it does make it interesting. Um, look, yeah, I I think Houston, but. I mean, if you said to me that Cleveland beat Houston in seven games and they won it in game seven in Houston because of LeBron James, would you be really that surprised? Yeah, that's the thing. Can't underestimate the heart of a champion. Ah, <laughs> really too. That's it. All right. Thanks uh, for coming on the show, Steve. I know you're a busy no, man. No, my and... pleasure, John. It's been, uh, it's been great to catch up. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, go Bulls. <laughs> Let's do this again. Go Celtics. <laughs> Thank you for listening. And thanks again to Audio Technica. If you want to check out Steve's work with ESPN, you can follow him on Twitter at SteveSmithFFX. If you want to support the show with either an iTunes rating or if you want to pick up some of my sweet merch, you can do all of that over at 8bit.net slash P-I-W. That's A-T-E-B-I-T. And while you're there, don't forget to check out the rest of the awesome podcast from the 8-Bit Collective. You can follow me on Twitter at Jono himself. And until next week, keep putting in work.